Welcome to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. This is episode 16, and this is part one of a two-part series on buying lumber. This episode is actually what I've wanted to record since I first realized I was going to do this podcast, and I've been kind of making notes and talking to my customers, both from like a weekend warrior hobbyist perspective, all the way up to professionals that are doing large scale construction, how we buy lumber, where to buy lumber, what to look for when you're buying lumber, and most importantly, how to plan to buy your lumber, what to, what to have in hand when you actually go to the lumber yard or where you pick up the phone to place that order for lumber. I deal with this day in and day out, and it still surprises me just how kind of how little is known about buying lumber. And you can find, you can actually tell a lot from the commercial perspective. You can tell a lot about what the, the caller, if somebody calls in, what they do just by the terminology they use. Everybody has their own terminology. You know, if you are um, a home builder and you're doing siding, you're thinking in how many square you need. If you're a deck uh, builder, you're also thinking in terms of square foot or a flooring guy, you're thinking in terms of square foot. So you're ordering X square feet of a certain amount of lumber. If you're a furniture maker, you tend to think around board feet, but more often than not, they're thinking in terms of pieces and they order by board feet because they've learned over the years that that's how the lumber industry buys. But there's really no common thread there. And there's a lot of confusion and a lot of people who are picking up the phone and not really knowing what they want and ordering blindly. And what that can do is lead to a lot of wasted lumber. It also can lead to a lot of dissatisfaction. Now, I'm not going to hold the lumber industry blameless here, but there is a lot of angst amongst the people who buy lumber and the people who sell lumber. And you hear all the time, boy, I got the shaft from my lumber dealer or man, those lumber prices are expensive. And let's not deny the fact that lumber, good quality hardwood lumber is expensive. But as we talked about in previous episodes, there's a lot of handling that goes on in making hardwood lumber. So it is going to be expensive, especially when you start talking about um, not even just exotic material, but material that's not native to your area and think about how far it has to come and how many things have to be done to that board before it can be sold. Yes, lumber is going to be expensive, but over the centuries, the lumber industry has been very good about keeping its cards close to its vest and developing its own terminology. And it leaves its customers kind of wondering, what did I just buy? What did I just pay for? Or a lot of, I hate going to the lumber yard because I feel like I'm going to get the raw end of the deal. And what I find, having kind of flipped the coin and gone from while I'm still a woodworker, but now I'm a woodworker who happens to work for a lumber company, what I started to discover was 99.9999% of the time when people call in, they can't answer the questions that we ask them. And we are constantly kind of drilling our sales staff to ask your customers questions, find out what it is they're going to do with the lumber, how they're gonna use it, where does it have to go, all of various and sundry things that may go into the project they're building because it can help us determine what species, what size of board, what thickness of board, what um, grade of the board they actually need. And then we're also thinking in terms of what inventory we have on hand and specifically which pack of lumber would be best to to meet the needs of that particular customer. And there's so many variables at play there. So we start asking a bunch of questions. And as I said, 99% of the time, these people calling in wanting to buy lumber cannot answer these questions. They don't actually know. So, and, and this 
I will kind of blame the lumber industry for this because we've taught everyone that everything is ordered in a volume measure. Everything's ordered by board feet and always buy at least 20% more so that you don't run out of stuff. Now, I'm not going to start suggesting that you should buy exactly what you need because, pardon my French, shit's going to happen and you're going to need that extra board. And the worst thing is having to go back to the lumber yard and buy one more board, especially if you're trying to get a really good grain and color match if you're building like a piece of furniture. Or if you are working on a house that's out on Hampton Island and the nearest lumber yard is miles and miles and miles and miles and miles away, or say you're building on an exotic species and you had to order it from somebody in California and you're over on the East Coast in order to get that species, you don't want to come up short. So I'm certainly not going to recommend that. But I do recommend that you think in terms of the volume, how many board feet am I going to need? But you need to go further than that. You need to figure out exactly what it is that I'm going to need. How many pieces of X width and X length and thickness am I going to need in order to get what I want? More importantly, what is the length of the board that I actually need? So if you're building furniture, most of the time the parts we use are so much shorter than the boards that we get at the lumber yard. But if you're going and asking for 10 foot boards and you really only need two foot parts, well, why? You know, are you thinking, well, that way, if I get a 10 foot board, I can get five of my two foot long parts out of that, maybe, assuming you're saw curve efficiency and all that stuff. But what's to say that you can't get a six foot board or an eight foot board? If really what you're looking for is multiples of two, ordering all 10 feet is not really the best use of, frankly, your dollar when you call the lumberyard. And you may run into a lot of lumberyards that don't have 10 foot or they'll have nine foot and or maybe 11 foot, but not 10 foot. And you end up with that, that either short a foot or long a foot. And to me, the worst thing is when you end up with that like 11 inch off cut on the end of the board and there's nothing you can use that for. Like no part in your project is short enough for that. And, you know, say you paid $8 a board foot for that. That could be $8 that just went into the trash or into the fire pit. That's incredibly frustrating. And good planning and understanding exactly what it is you need to buy on several levels from volume to piece count to linear foot to square foot, all of those things you need to think about when you buy that lumber. But I digress. I think what I'm going to do, um, because this is a big subject, I'm going to end up breaking this into a two-part episode. And in part two, I'm going to really focus on what shopping list you need to have. What do you need to have in hand before you make the trip to the lumberyard or before you pick up the phone and call the lumberyard? What questions should you have answered in your mind so that you can answer them when the lumberyard asks you? Or unfortunately, you may find a lot of lumberyards who aren't asking the questions so that you can make sure that they know the answers to those questions. You can suggest, this is what I need because I'm building this, this, and this. If they just try to randomly suggest 100 board feet of something or 500 board feet of something, you need to be prepared to counter with that volume is fine, but I need to have X amount of width, X amount of length. I need to have this many pieces of this thickness, et cetera, et cetera. But let's start this by going even further upstream. A lot of people don't necessarily have a go-to lumber yard. So where where do you get lumber? Where can you find quality lumber? And this is you know going to vary obviously dramatically depending on where you are. Uh, I live you know in Maryland on the East Coast, and within forty five minutes of me, I've got one, two, three, four, five where I work, six 
at least, no, seven, seven lumber yards that I can go and get hardwoods. I can get softwoods. Uh, a couple of those lumber yards are very specialized. Um, there's one up the road for me that I could go and get timbers cut. I could actually have things cut to size if I wanted to do timber framing, but I also could do a lot of really nice domestics that are both green and kiln dried. Other ones um, are specially specializing in exotic materials. In fact, one of them is called exotic lumber. Um, the other one, uh, many people know Hearn Hardwoods is only about 40 minutes from me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've got actual high quality lumber yards real close to me. But I know a lot of people like the, um, if you don't know, I also run something called the hand tool school. And I've got a lot of students in that school right in the middle of the country that have very few, if zero options. In many instances, they're talking a multi-hour drive in order to get to an actual lumber yard. So certainly a lumber yard and, and you're going to find area, gray areas there. There is a retail lumber yard and a wholesale lumber yard. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But let's go to kind of the more obvious. You know, the, the, the obvious solution for getting both softwoods and hardwoods is a big box store. Somebody like Home Depot or Lowe's or Menards. All of those places are going to carry some hardwoods. It's going to be limited in species. They're certainly going to be um, S4S, surface on four sides. They are going to be dry. If you took a moisture meter to them, you would find that they're going to fall within that six to eight, if maybe six to 10%. If they're up to 10%, that's probably because they've just picked up moisture after they were dried, but they are going to be dry. They are going to be stable. The problems you may run into is that they may have been dried a little too fast or just not not with the same care that you might find from a lumber yard. Um, so they may have a little bit more cup and bow and twist in them. That's going to happen. Now, if you are buying this, going back to what what you need the, the wood for, if you're buying it specific because you need long links because you're going to be sticking moldings out of it, well, that twist may be a problem. But at the same time, how wide is the molding? If the molding you're making is only two inches wide or three inches wide, the cup that may be in that board is going to disappear when you rip that down to size. Now, let me back up and make sure we understand the terms we're using here. We've all heard bow and cup and twist. Those do refer to very specific things. Cup is when the board is curved across its width. Bow is when the board is curved along its length. Think about a bow and arrow. If you pull it, you're bending it along its length. And well, twist is pretty self-explanatory. It's twisted along its length. One corner is going to be higher than the other. And I just want to bring that up because I am referring to very specific things when I say the board is cupped or the board is bowed. Likewise, if you are building furniture, say, as I said earlier, a lot of the parts that we need are relatively short. So if you're looking at a nine foot board that has a substantial bow, does it matter? When you cut out that 12 inch, 18 inch, 24 inch part that you need, most of that bow is gone. I tell my hand tool school students this all the time. The fastest way to flatten a board is actually with a saw, not a plane or a planer or a joiner. It's with a saw. If you can take that nine foot board and cut it in half into two, four and a half foot sections and say you had an eighth of an inch of deviation, an eighth of an inch of bow or the nine foot length, probably you're going to have at least half of that is gone. And that board is going to be quite flat really for the the tolerances that you're you're using it for in building furniture and let's be real there's there are very few things in working with wood that requires super super high tolerances and frankly the bigger the boards get, the longer the boards get, the more flex they're going to have. So if you've got that, as I said before, eighth of an inch deviation, eighth of an inch gap under the middle of a nine foot long board, 
and you were putting up molding. Well, how are you fastening that molding? Probably using a pin nailer, and a pin nailer is going to flex out that bow in the middle. It's not an issue. Having, having a bow is really not a big deal. Cup can become a bit more of a problem. But again, if you rip a board, if you rip an eight foot or excuse me, an eight inch wide board in half to four inches, you're going to have significantly less cup. Now, there's still going to be some cup there. But if you were to pass it over a joiner or run a hand plane over that, you're going to flatten it a heck of a lot faster by ripping it down to size first. So this is, again, why it's important to think about what you're actually going to use it for. So Home Depot, Lowe's, yeah, you're going to find a variety of species and, and many of them have started to expand what's available. There's some regionality to this, but if I go into a Home Depot down the street for me, I can be guaranteed to get red oak, maple, poplar, and sometimes cherry. If I go to a Home Depot on the other side of town, they actually have walnut. Um, I have heard of Home Depots actually carrying mahogany as well. I don't have any in my region, but I've heard in the Midwest, there's some that are certainly carrying walnut and also carrying mahogany. You're also going to find some softwood. You're going to find... um, Western red cedar in most places, certainly going to find plenty of pine. One thing about Home Depot, it's, it is the place to go to get radiata pine. So if you need really, really premium quality pine, yes, you're going to pay more for it, but radiata pine is some great stuff. It's a conundrum in and of itself because this stuff's coming all the way from New Zealand and you know, that's why it's priced the way it is, but it's still can be a great place for really flat, very stable, not free pine. But you also can find some good quality, number one, select quality pine at Home Depot. The problem with the big box stores all comes down to how it was dried, how quickly it was dried, how long it's been stacked in a container, dead stacked, you know, what kind of tension may be in the board that's causing a lot of that cup and bow and twist. But, you know, if that's what you have, that's what you have. And when you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, you have to be particularly cognizant of what it is you're going to use those boards for. And that's what we're going to get into in part two, the being prepared with your shopping list. Now, another option, if you have an actual woodworking retailer like a Woodcraft or a Rockler, they are going to sell hardwood as well. Now, if you thought the lumber, at, um, the hardwood at Home Depot was expensive, go to Rockler and Woodcraft and you're going to find it's even more expensive because they are just one step further removed from the chain. Their lumber, for the most part, is at least S2S. Many times it's um, S3S with one straight line edge. Sometimes it's S4S. It depends upon the species. And you have a much smaller selection because obviously a large portion of their retail facility is dedicated towards tooling and supplies and glue and all that stuff. And they've got just that little section in the back or off to the side that has some lumber in it. And, you know, maybe they've got 20 species represented and three or four boards per species. Or depending upon how they bought it, maybe they got a deal on walnut. So suddenly they have a whole bunch of walnut for a couple of days because a shipment just came in. This stuff will generally be of a better quality than what you would find at Home Depot or Lowe's. The thing with with Home Depot especially, well, and Lowe's as well, but they have a great deal of buying power. So they can dictate a lot of terms because they're just so huge. So nine times out of 10, the, the sawmills that Home Depot and Lowe's are buying from are on a buying program. They're specifically, the sawmill specifically sawing material for that retailer because they need such large volumes of it. On the Rockler and Woodcraft side of things, these are individually franchised organizations. And this may not be uh, true across the board, but but I have a, a couple of guys in my, my day job who 
do buying of lumber for Woodcraft and Rockler and they buy for their own individual store. And they're buying it just like any individual who would buy it, but they're buying a slightly larger volume. Maybe they're buying 200 board feet of five different species at one time. So, you know, it's a thousand, 1500, 2000 board foot order, which in the grand scheme of things is not an enormous order, but it's certainly larger than what an individual would buy. So they can generally get a, a higher quality of material, but it's going to be kind of hit and miss. Sorry for the pun there, because it usually is hit and miss planed. Um, it's going to be hit and miss on exactly what kind of sizes you're going to find, what kind of species you're going to find. So you need to have a very, very clear idea of not just board footage. In fact, I would never go into a rock or woodcraft with a board foot number in mind because that's going to be ridiculous. You're going to be buying surface material. You need to go into a rock or woodcraft with a part size in mind. This is the one time I would say go in with your parts list in hand. Probably not maybe your parts list in hand, but an understanding of the sizes of the parts you're going to need because that's how you're going to be buying that material. It's going to be already surfaced and you know trying to buy it on an overall volume and taking into account waste is going to well, it's going to hurt your wallet more than anything because the prices there are going to be probably the most expensive you're going to run across and the volume, the, the available inventory is going to be quite low. But it is still an opportunity. When I first got started in woodworking, my local woodcraft was the go-to place. I was building small projects and it was the perfect place to go and buy like quarter inch and half inch thick pieces. This is before I had a planer and, you know, I was building boxes and such and it was great. And I could go and I could buy weird species like Bobinga and Bocote and, and kind of experiment with it. And while it was still expensive, it wasn't so expensive because I was buying a half inch thick by three inch wide by, you know, 18 inch long board. And that's a great opportunity to go and sample different species because they do have those small off cut sized bins, if you will. The next thing certainly is the, um, you know, we we've, haven't really talked about the lumber yard, but that's kind of the obvious one. If you have a lumber yard by your house and you can go and buy rough sawn lumber, although what I'm finding more and more of the retail lumber yards are surfacing a great majority of their material, or more importantly, they're buying it surfaced from a, a wholesale distributor like the company where I work. If they're, if they're buying it rough, a lot of times they are even surfacing it or skip planing it so that they can show um, the grain a lot more because a lot of their customers are demanding that and a lot of their customers may not have a planer but there are going to be differences between the retail and the wholesale lumberyard the wholesale lumberyard obviously this is going to vary from one company to another but they don't dislike small orders it just can be a little bit more difficult. The wholesale lumberyard is not really set up logistically to handle small orders. They can certainly do it, but there are some concessions that have to be made. If you call a wholesale lumberyard and they say, well, we're wholesale only, the next question would be, well, what is your minimum sized order? Some of them will have right off the bat, a thousand board foot, 500 board foot. Some of them will have a, well, it kind of depends upon the species. You know, if you were to call the company where I work, there's going to be an answer for walnut, an answer for cherry, and a very different answer for teak. You know, the, the, uh, the price points will dictate a lot of that. And the volume that people buy is generally going to vary because that price point is quite a bit larger. But just because if, if say, the lumberyard you call says, no, we, we only do orders 500 board foot and above, well, do you have a friend? <laughs> Do you have a woodworking guild or club in the local area? Can you get a couple guys together and come up with 500 board feet? Probably. If you think about it, most of the furniture projects I build are generally at least 
50 board feet is what I'm buying. I've had several projects that I've had to buy 100, 120 board feet. So if you can get five, six, seven guys together, you could probably come up with 500 board feet relatively quickly. The key to understand here, though, is you're calling that that lumberyard and they're saying our minimum order is 500 board feet. You're going to come in with 500 board feet, but maybe 500 board feet in six different species, which becomes a lot more difficult for that wholesale yard to go and pull six different packs from six different sheds, bring them all together with a forklift, pick the one or two boards out of each pack to bundle up your particular order. Or if you actually want to hand select your boards, they have to pull out those six packs, let you go through them, then reassemble those packs, redo all the inventory skewing, ticketing, all of those particular species, and and probably devaluing of the packs because what happens is you guys went and pulled the, the cherry boards well, cherry, cherry boards, the finest quality boards right off the top. And that may have reduced the overall grade of what's left. And and that, that can be a little bit difficult, but if you are actually going and picking up the material and you're not asking them to ship it for you, you will find that a lot of wholesale yards are going to be a lot more accommodating for the smaller sized order. You may just need to get a couple of friends together in order to come up to meet their minimum or ask them, Hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to come up. I'm not even going to come close to needing 500 board feet, but if I come down there, can you get out a pack and, and can I go through it and, and, you know, take as much of the labor out of their hands? They may be amenable to that. Now, the other thing you have to think about here is there is a very real concern from a wholesale lumber yard about liability. You know, these are not meant to be walk-in type facilities. These are not meant to be places where people are browsing through racks. So they're just not insured for that to just have a non-employee wandering through their sheds. There are forklifts whizzing by left and right. You know, it, it it's a real concern. There's not even actually parking set up other than like one or two visitor spaces. And, you know, if you've been to a wholesale yard, it's not exactly clear where you're supposed to go. Like maybe there's an office, but sometimes there's nobody in the office or the door is locked to the office because there's no one in there. That's because they're not designed for the general public to to walk into and therefore are not insured for that as well. So it can be a very clear, it can be a very uh, big concern for the wholesale yard. So even though you're saying, look, just get out a pack and I'll go through it. They still have to have someone there um, because liability says that employee needs to be present. You know, usually the guy who ran the forklift brings it out and he's standing there waiting while you're going through the pack because he has to put it back, you know, and he can't, he can't leave you unattended and can't go do fill some other orders because eventually somebody's got to put that material back together and it's got to be rebanded and all that fun stuff. So there, there are some real concerns from a wholesale perspective. Generally, though, if you can meet their minimum board foot order and you have a well thought out and well organized order, which I'll get to in part two, you can still buy from the wholesale yard. If you run into a wholesale yard that just won't not having it. And they're out there. There's no doubt. They're, nope, can't can't work with you. Go somewhere else. Then okay, where should I go? You know, you're a wholesaler. Your job is to sell to people who are then selling to me. Who do you recommend? Um, where can I go? This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for 50 board feet of cherry. Who would you recommend in the local area? They're probably going to know, you know, and, and if the guy you're talking to is just being a jerk, well, you know, it's, it's easy to say walk away and don't give that company business. But if that's your only alternative, 
you know, just you, you need to have a conversation with the guy and say, look, well, what would you do if you were me? Where would you go to get 50 board feet of cherry if you were me? There must be somebody you can think of. And if the guy on the phone just doesn't know, say, well, is there anyone else there who could know? Like, who, who who's your buyer? Maybe talk to the buyer because the buyer may be buying from a sawmill that would also sell to the general public. It may just be a matter of asking some additional questions. And I do realize that it, it can be difficult. You've got a guy on the phone and maybe he's being short with you and you're calling on your lunch hour and you don't want to be chasing a bunch of people around. It can be frustrating. There's no doubt. I I have been there personally. I understand. But I know, and, and I'm speaking purely for the yard where I work. Well, and I can speak for a couple of the customers we work with pretty closely. If you have a strong idea of what you need and you're courteous and you're being understanding, um, you can generally get some answers. We have had people who call in and we say, look, I'm sorry, we really can't handle an order that's less than 500 board feet. And they get like aggressive and, and really mad at us. And, you know, on our end of the phone, we don't want to deal with that. It's like, look, I don't want to be yelled at. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the one making the policies here. Don't yell at me because you can't come up with a 500 board feet of lumber. But if the person says, oh, well, crap, there's no way I'm going to get 500 board feet of lumber. That sucks. You know, is there anything we can do? You know, oh, OK, that changes the tone a lot more. Well, what do you mean? Is there anything we can do? Um, yeah, well, and, and, and there are times where we have packs of lumber that have been used to be a thousand board foot pack. And now because material has been taken from to fill orders, now it's down to 120 board feet. You know, so the other question is, well, do you have any packs of cherry that are, you know, under 500 board feet? Because if if you go and buy the entire pack, most lumber yards are going to be organized in the fact that there is a tag, there is a skew or, or a barcode associated with that pack of lumber. And if that pack of lumber is 128 board feet and you only need 80, but if you buy the whole pack, first of all, you might get a deal because think about it. You've just reduced the amount of labor required. All the forklift driver has to go is go and pull that pack and drop it in your truck and they're done. They don't have to unband it. They don't have to reband it when you're done. It saves a lot of trouble. They don't have to worry about breaking a skew and then rebundling the skew into something different with a different inventory count. It's just take that skew off the inventory because I've sold the entire thing. And that is a great way to look at it. Um, most lumber yards are going to have some sort of, of, of computer inventory system. And if you've got a, a salesperson on the phone and you're running into that, no, I'm sorry, we can't do under 500 board feet. You turn around and say, well, look, what I really need is 80 board feet of cherry. Do you have any packs of four quarter cherry? And that's important. You know, you've got to know the thickness. You can't just say, do you have any four, do you have any cherry that's, you know, packs of cherry under um, close to 50 board feet? Because the answer, the question will then be what thickness, four quarter, eight quarter. And that's the other thing is every pack of lumber is going to be by thickness. So if total you need 80 board feet, but you actually need 80 board feet, that's a mixture of four quarter, five quarter, and eight quarter, eh, you really are talking about a retail lumber yard at that point. But it's worth asking the question, what do you have that's close to the volume I'm looking for that I could just buy the whole pack? And a lot of times there are a lot of little, these little scantling packs floating around the lumber yard because when a commercial order comes in for five, you know, 600 board feet and the guy goes out to the shed and he sees uh, a pack of 100 board feet, a pack of 200 board feet, a pack of 500 board feet, 800 board feet and 650 board feet. What's he going to do? Well, 
ideally it would be nice if you could take the 100 and 200 and kind of piece them together to make that 600 board feet he needs but more than likely he's going to grab the pack that's 800 or 650 board feet pull out everything he needs from that and then put the leftover back into the shed because it's it's a faster easier way to fill that order it's just human nature so what happens is you end up with that 50 board feet that's left over that's turned into a new SKU number. It's set in the shed. Next time they go out to fill an order and it's for 200 board feet, they're going to overlook that 50 board foot leftover pack and find another pack that's greater than 200 board feet or close to 200 board feet and pull that. And then you end up with more leftovers. So over time, these little packs build up. Sometimes the lumber yards will actually... Um, kind of conglomerate those little packs together into a random width, random length, random species pack. And generally what we do is pick up the phone and call a retailer, you know, call the Rocklers and, and the Woodcrafts and the retail lumberyards and say, look, I've got this 600 board foot pack of random width, random length, random species, you know, and the species are X, Y, and Z. Are you interested in such and such a price? That's a great way for a retail yard to buy a great deal of stock in all these different species. It's, it's, Generally, anytime we end up with that, the first phone call we make is to a retailer, and that's how they get a lot of the material. You could capitalize on the same thing, but before that pack is is conglomerated into a, a random species, you can snap up those smaller leftover packs. So that's another thing. If you're in an opportunistic buying mood, you can call up, and if you've got a, a salesperson, you know, don't call them five minutes before the end of the day. You've got a salesperson that can give you five minutes of your time. Say, look, you know, I'm a hobbyist. Um, I'm a furniture maker. Um, grade is not that big of a deal to me. Width and length is not that big of a deal because all my parts are relatively small, but I'm just looking to get some material into my shop. What packs of lumber do you have that are under 100 board feet? And you can just go and, 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 and pick those out. And as I said, you're probably going to get a better deal on it because the lumber yard is happy to see those go. It's just something they don't have to keep count of anymore, keep around in the shed, taking up space, and they would love to see it go. There are other times when um, a large wholesale yard has leftover off-cut material just in the process, the byproduct of doing business. Part of that byproduct is when that 600 board foot order is grabbed from a 650 board foot pack, that 50 board feet leftover is a byproduct. But you also end up with a lot of material that gets graded out for one reason or another. Not that it doesn't meet an NHLA grade, but maybe it doesn't meet a customer grade. So that 500 board foot pack is run across the grading chains and five, six, seven boards are pulled out because they don't meet the specific grade that that customer is is, uh, requesting. Well, those five boards, where do they go? A lot of times they'll go into a bin and they stay in that bin until there's enough material in there in order to make a decent pack. And then it goes back out into the sheds. There can be an opportunity to buy some of that stuff. And it's just a matter of calling and asking some questions. Do you have an overflow bin? Do you have a developing pack bin that you can call and say, look, I'm just looking for four or five boards. Can I come and pull out of that particular pack? And a lot of times you're going to get a great deal on those because many of those boards don't exist on inventory. In fact, I ran an online business called Hardwood to Go for, what, three years that was based entirely on that. Those leftovers, those pull, those outs that came from specific orders that didn't exist on inventory could be turned and sold retail. And really it was almost hundred percent profit. So I could sell it at really good prices. Unfortunately, the thing that's always the issue with that, it was online and shipping became kind of an issue, but it is a, it is a very plausible way to go and buy lumber. 
So we've looked at the retailers, both from the big box stores down to the specialty stores. We've looked at the traditional lumber yards. The sawmill is another great place to go. If you have sawmills in your area, they are going to be willing to sell to you because they have a lot of lumber and a lot of different sizes and shapes and all kinds of stuff. They have a lot of offcuts. They've got all kinds of stuff floating around. They also have logs. You can go and buy a log if you want. The thing you have to think about when you go direct to a sawmill is what is the what is the state of the lumber? Is it green? Has it been dried? Um, has any grading gone on at all? Um, is it going to be surfaced at all? There's a lot of different stuff that when you move upstream from the lumber yard to the sawmill that may not be there. Now, a lot of sawmills now have their own kilns because they've discovered that they can make a little bit more money. They can make a, a slightly higher margin by drying some of the material themselves. Some of it depends upon the species. Now, if you're buying material that is green, you're going to have to dry it yourself. You're going to get a great price on it because it hasn't been dry, but you do have to take into account that's going to need to be done. But sawmills can be great places to buy unusual species. You know, your, your, your domestics that you don't normally see at a lumber yard because that sawmill may be buying logs from tree removal companies, maybe getting logs from municipal type organizations, taking down trees in city parks, along roadsides and things like that. You'll end up with some interesting species there. Any lumber yard that also has a sawmill is going to have a, a kind of a more interesting variety of species available because they are sawing direct from the raw material. But you do have to be very aware of what it is you're actually buying. You may get sticker shock in a very good way when you go to a sawmill and go, man, this stuff is cheap. But if it's super cheap, there's a reason for that. Something hasn't been done. You know, the grade is off. The dryness is not there. Something. There's all kinds of things that could be going on. It may not all be bad and it may suit your needs. But just recognize when you go direct to a sawmill, they're going to be kind of a, a, a different set of questions, different set of things to be aware of. But buying direct from a sawmill can be fantastic. Um, one of the guys, one of the lumber yards that I put, uh, that I say is nearby me is actually a sawmill. And I love buying from them because I can get all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't normally get anywhere else. I can also get a lot different sizes. Um, you know, you go to a, a lumber yard and it's four quarter, five quarter, eight quarter, you know, 10 quarter, maybe 12 quarter, but say you want a six by six timber or, you know, you want shorts and things like that. These sawmills are going to have all kinds of variety of sizes and it's a, it's a kind of a candy store, if you will, but they're, you know, they're not everywhere. And especially these days, there's a lot of sawmills going out of business left and right. Here again, though, you can also go into a sawmill with the idea of doing kind of a cooperative buy and, and buying with four or five friends that you pull together. So what if you're left with a situation where I don't have any lumber yards nearby, I really don't have a lot of big box stores and the quality they have is just total crap. Or I hear a lot of people just say, look, I'm done. I'm done with big box stores. I'm not going to buy from them anymore. Can't afford to buy from them anymore. I don't have a sawmill locally. I'm, I'm SOL. You know, there is nothing. And I hear this a lot. I've got nothing around me unless I want to drive four hours. It's not really worth the, the cost of gas, you know, to, to do that. Are you out of luck? No. Where, who is in your area? Do you have professionals, contractors, cabinet shops, anybody who uses, who uses wood in the products they make? They're buying it from someone. Now, they may be buying from that yard that's three and four hours away, but they're buying in a larger volume because they've got a commercial shop that's running. Can you buy material from them? 
Is there a kitchen cabinet company in your neck of the woods? Yes, they're going to be using an awful lot of plywood, but they're probably going to be using solid wood for their face frames. And they're probably going to be using things like maple and cherry and maybe walnut or birch, something like that. Oak, certainly. Can you buy from them? And making a phone call to a local cabinet shop and just telling them exactly who you are, what you're trying to do, you're probably going to find someone that can say, yeah, you can come in. Many times, I've, I've heard from a lot of people, I've advised a lot of people in the hand tool school to do this, who walk away with like a truck bed full of material for like 20 bucks. Sometimes no money at all. Now, don't go in being prepared to get a great deal. You want to go in and prepared to play fair market value, but nine times out of 10, they're happy to get rid of this stuff. And it's, it's too difficult to keep it around. It's taking up space and they love to be able to get rid of it. And many of the guys in the shop are woodworkers as well. And they've been where you are and they're like, Hey, we want to help you out. So it's, it's a great place to, to go. Plus it's just nice to have that local connection because maybe next time they order from their lumber yard, their lumber supplier, you can add hundred board feet onto their order, get it delivered to them and you come and pick it up. That's the same way we were talking about doing a co-op with four or five buddies from the, the local woodworking guild. You can do a co-op with a commercial business and, and add your 50, hundred board feet of, of whatever species or species onto their next order. You know, it's not the same as being able to go in and get the lumber right then and there today, but calling them up and saying, Hey, you know, it's Bob. Remember me? I came in and bought some of your offcuts. Can I, you know, when's your net, when's the next order you're placing? Can I add on to that? That's so I've seen it done many, many times. It's a great way to do it. It gets delivered right to their shop. You go pick it up at their shop. Certainly when it comes in, you want to get it off their hands as soon as possible. Don't leave it around their shop floor for two weeks, three weeks or whatever, because then it becomes a, a bad relationship and you don't want to be that guy, but it is a very viable way of getting lumber. So think about that in your, in your neighborhood, who are the people who are using wood to to manufacture their products. Are they deck builders? Are they contractors? Are they cabinet shops? Do they make furniture? Do they make doors and windows? They're out there, folks, and they are using material and sourcing it from somewhere. So that's definitely a great place to go. Um, timber framers. I, I talk to folks about this all the time. If you have a timber frame construction company in your neck of the woods, it is a fantastic place to go and get material. Because you think about the, the typical home building scale, anything in a timber that's under like eight feet long is an off cut. It's useless. can't do anything with it. And usually eight feet is getting pretty short. So the off cut pile at a timber frame construction company is enormous sizes of stuff that there's all kinds of cool things you can do with it. And granted, we're usually talking Douglas fir, but sometimes you're talking white oak timbers, um, other hardwood timbers. I've seen Spanish cedar timbers before, Western red, certainly, but you're getting them in larger four by four, six by sixes, eight by eights that may require you to do some more stuff to them. Or say you want to build a workbench. Everybody loves workbenches, right? You want to build a workbench, like a Rubo style workbench. You know how easy is to laminate up a top when you're working with eight by eights. That's awesome. Six by sixes, fantastic stuff. And if you think, well, I can't get that kind of timber, find a timber framer, call them. They probably would love to have you come in and take some of the offcuts off their hand, just like buying from a cabinet shop. The next thing to talk to are the tree removal companies, the guys that come into your backyard and take the tree down or reaching out to your local municipality, your city, and finding out who do they use or do they have a tree removal um, division within the, the local government? What are they doing with the trees when they remove them? Now, a lot of times they're just going to be chipped up, but 
if you know, um, this is more with the with the government, with the, the local municipalities. If you know where they're going to be taking trees down and you can talk to the foreman, um, you can go out and say, look, can I take one of those logs? Um, and sometimes you have to sign something saying we hold the city, you know, uh, harmless if there's bugs in this or whatever. And that's something to think about. If you're buying logs, you got to be worried about about beasties. If you have the ability to saw it, if you're like Matt Cremona and can saw it into logs, great. You may know someone that can do that. Maybe you want to build with greenwood and you're just going to split that log into pieces. Or you can reach out to the sawmill network. I know if you go to Woodmiser, they have a directory of Woodmiser owners and these people will come to you and saw boards for you. You may also find that a lot of these um, commercial tree removal companies have recognized that, hey, there might be some profit in taking these logs we take down and turning them into boards. And many of them have a wood miser type bandsaw mill on, you know, back at their log yard, and they will actually saw it under boards for you. So which brings you to the next point. If you find the tree removal companies, find out if they also sell boards. Many of them do. Or what they may do is they sell their logs to a sawmill and you can get into the supply chain there and find out, well, who are you selling your logs to? Can I contact them? Now you've got a contact at a sawmill and it's a way to get that. So you're just going further upstream. You're going back to the source, literally to the log itself, finding out who's taking down these logs at the, at the neighbor's yard and what do they do with it? Many of the most of the time, they are going to be bucking that log into shorter sections so that they can just load it into their truck. But if they know that they have an interested party in the log itself, and you can reach out to that company, say you call that tree removal service and say, "Hey, I'm looking for you know boards." Um, and, well, we don't really do that. Well, are you going to be taking any trees down? Can I buy the log from you? Great. Where are you going to be? And if you're there um, and prepared to pick it up, a lot of times they can actually move that log for you and drop it in a trailer for you. Now, once you've got it, it's up to you to figure out what to do with it. You know, again, maybe you're just going to split it and you're going to use the green wood and you're going to use it for steam bending or you know somebody with a bandsaw mill or you've called somebody and you've got an appointment for them to come out and saw either at, at your premises or you've already got the log on a trailer. Maybe you take it to them and have it sawn into boards. That is another option that 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 you can take advantage of. Certainly, there's going to be a lot more involved in that downstream where you've got to figure out the drying. You've got to make sure that the, the pest situation, um, you know, usually kiln drying is going to get rid of the, not usually, if you are kiln drying it for bugs, it's going to get rid of the bugs. So it is something to think about. Not only do you need to find someone who can saw it into boards for you, but find someone who can dry it for you. But again, more and more people are recognizing, hey, there's more money to be made here than just sawing it into boards. If I can also construct a kiln, that's great. You know, you go and check out the guy's facility and find out what kind of drying he's doing. You can see the quality of his boards and go, great. I trust this guy to not only saw, but also to to dry it. Or maybe you want to do it all yourself. Maybe you want to build a bandsaw mill. Here, Matt Cremona has plans. Maybe you want to build your own kiln. There's all kinds of solar kiln plans online and you can get into that and start amassing your own lumber supply. And that's the true kind of far end of the spectrum to the point where suddenly now you are selling material, which brings you to the last point. We've talked about sawmills. What about the individual sawmill owners, the guys like Matt Cremona? Because from what I understand, Matt, I really hope you're listening to this episode. I understand Matt loves it when you call him and just show up at his house to want to buy lumber. Apparently, he really loves that. <laughs> don't do that, people. Don't do that. If you know Matt's number, don't just, you know his house, don't just show up. That's not cool. Um, but anybody, like I know a guy locally, the, the next town over that has a small sawmill. 
Um, it's a wood miser and he started sawing stuff up for his own benefit and then realized, oh wow, now I've got all this lumber and he started selling it and you can actually go and buy it. And if you call him and tell him what you're looking for, you can set him an appointment to go over and pick things up. In fact, if you go way back to the episode I recorded with Bell Forest Lumber, you remember that's how Bell Forest got its start. Um, Boone and his dad were sawing up material for their own purposes. And then they realized, hey, we could actually make some money on this. Now that we have the facilities to saw these boards, we could start selling this. And they started selling bird's eye um, maple to pool coon manufacturers and Bell Forest Products was born. So, you know, going going back into the origin story, you may find the, the next Bell Forest Products is in your neighborhood or close by and they've started selling material because they already have a bandsaw mill. So there's a lot of places to find lumber. It's more than just the big box store. It's more than just the traditional lumber yard. If you take nothing away from this particular episode, that cabinet shop tip is gold. I can't even count the number of people who I've sent down that path who've written back to me and said, you wouldn't believe the material that I got. Millwork houses, cabinet shops, again, anybody that uses wood in their day-to-day operations is going to have offcuts, is going to have maybe not offcuts, but maybe a bunch of material just came in and they're willing to sell you some of that material or a lot willing to let you jump on their next bulk order they make from, from their wholesale supplier. So think about that, folks. Anytime I hear somebody say, there's no way I can get lumber around me, I kind of shake my head and go, have you really tried all the possibilities? If somebody out there is listening to this and they tried all those possibilities and they have nowhere else to go, let me know. Reach out to me and maybe we can figure out a solution. Or more importantly, if you yourself have had success with one of these methods, or if you found a method I didn't talk about for finding lumber, please send me a, a voicemail, write in, whatever, however you want to get the information to me. Smoke signals of that will work, probably won't work real well. But get me that and let's share it with the general audience as a whole. So here we go. There's part one of your lumber buying episode, where to actually find the lumber. I hope this helps somebody in identifying a source for buying some lumber, because as I always say, folks, thanks for listening to the show and go buy some lumber.